I would always start with what's the problem you're trying to solve rather than necessarily starting with a technique. Once you've clarified and you understand the problems that you are trying to solve, then we can go, okay, well, what's the right approach? And then we get into the details of how to express using those techniques or technologies, that API. So almost the coding bit of delivering the the implementation of an API is the last thing you worry about. Um, And that's quite often referred to as the the API-first paradigm um, or the API-first approach. And it gives you a, a nice, robust API that is... Um, less likely to be impacted the moment you want to change how your backend works. Hello, and welcome to PodRocket. I'm Noel, and with me today is Phil Wilkins. Uh, Phil is a cloud developer evangelist at Oracle. He's an author, uh, much more. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Hello, thank you. So recently you gave a talk, uh, APIs Stop Polling, Let's Go Streaming. Did I get that title right? That's right, yep. Perfect, perfect. Um, And that was at the Dev Innovation Summit um, this year. And I kind of wanted to just like talk about that and pick it apart a little bit. Um, But before we get into it, can we kind of, I don't know, get into your background a little bit more. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Oracle uh, and what a cloud developer evangelist does? Okay, so um, Oracle is a bit more than just a database company. Uh, (laughs) um, So Oracle have a a hyperscaling cloud offering, um, trying to compete with Microsoft and uh, AWS and uh, GCP and so on. And um, my role uh, amongst um, a couple of us uh, is to... um, work inwardly with our product development teams to to share insights that uh, we pick up when uh, uh, out talking with customers or potential customers and and the community at large. Um, and at the same time, just will take what they're sharing with me and, and my understanding of the platform and what, what we can do uh, and present at conferences, write papers, write content for, for the Oracle website. Uh, expressing how our technologies work, um, you know, and a lot of that these days is, is built around and supporting open source, such as Kubernetes and uh, uh, GraphQL. And uh, if you're a Java developer, you'll know all about GraalVM and, and uh, the Java platform that Oracle uh, Drive. So uh, it's taking a lot, all those sort of things uh, and getting those that, those messages out there, you know, sharing insights and and, and practices that we think are, are particularly effective or, or warning people of uh, potential potholes that they may encounter. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So um, on your website, uh, you kind of say that your technical skill set is centered around uh, API application development and integrations for on-prem and cloud primarily using open source. Um, so would you say that like your career is kind of focused on this like API development and integration space specifically when you're like going out and writing articles and talking to devs or is it more broad than that? It, it's broader than that. I, I mean, I started my career off um, more years than I care to remember as a developer. 
uh, and I've come up through that path. So I uh, and I worked in some fairly demanding real-time environments. So I got taught some pretty disciplined development techniques. Um, that sort of stayed with me. Uh, although I've, as I've grown through my career, I, I've done consulting, which gives me that expertise to be able to sit down and talk with people about their problems and their challenges and share ideas and techniques that we've proven with with uh, real world problems. Um, so whilst uh, my speciality is APIs, um, I dealt with uh, low code environments, uh, but I do tend to focus on the back end. So it's, uh, you know, APIs kind of go everywhere. Um, and that developer skill gives me the, the, the understanding and, and the ability to do microservices. Uh, but not everybody needs that or wants that for solving system uh, problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think that kind of that kind of way of thinking, right? Like APIs, like I don't know, it's easy to apply that to like yeah, like microservices, like endpoint architecture. But it's also you know like something you have to think about even when you're just like modeling classes or functions, even like within a given like application. It's like this is like there's 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 still an API here. There's still like it maybe not like in the strictest definition, but there's still an interface here that I'm thinking about the consumer in. Like it kind of all it kind of all folds back in on itself. Absolutely. I mean uh, uh, you know uh if you think about older techniques we we've had, gone through talking about test driven development, which kind of is working with the idea of an API you tests are formulating and, and, and expressing what you think the contract is going to be. Yeah, and then we've had contract-led development where we've said, look, yeah, here's my interface, whether it's a, a .h file from C days or uh, a Java interface or, or whatever your preferred language's approach to it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then maybe kind of to, to bring us back to the topic of the talk. So do, do, you, do you feel that the way in which someone consumes an API is like, pivotal to its design? Does that dictate kind of how, if you're designing an API, how it should be thought about? Like, is this going to be a polling API or a, you know, streaming API? I would always start with what's the problem you're trying to solve rather than necessarily starting with a technique. Um, uh, once you, you, you've clarified and you understand the problems that you are trying to solve, then we can go, okay, well, what's the right approach? And then we get into the details of how to express using those techniques or technologies, that API. So almost the coding bit of delivering the implementation of an API is the last thing you worry about. Um, and that, that that's quite often referred to as the, the API-first paradigm um, or the API-first approach. And it gives you a, a nice, robust API that is... Um, less likely to be impacted the moment you want to change how your backend works. So you start with one programming language and then go, do you know what, Python's not giving me the, the grunt that I want. I need a pre-compiled language. Uh, I'm going to switch, replace my backend implementation with, say, Go. Yeah. Uh, if you've done that design first, that when you come to changing your backend implementation, it shouldn't impact your API. Uh, but if you do um, the, go the other way, which is uh, quite often what people do when they think they're in a, a hurry, is to, uh, to write a whole chunk of code really quickly. It, it fires up, it, it does what you want it to do uh, as the developer viewpoint, but then when you, someone tries to come and use it, 
it's quite a bit harder because it might not behave how you, you expect it or uh, the API will reflect quirks in, in your implementation. Yeah, yeah, I think that that makes sense. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think a lot of devs that have gone through the process several times would, would likely agree. But I think I think the piece that I'm, I'm curious about is, again, like say we've got an API that people are, are hitting and they're like pulling a lot of data from very quickly. Whether one is is pulling or like streaming that API, or maybe whether one expects most clients to consume it via polling or streaming or like webhooks or any number of methods, do you think that those kinds of distinctions should impact the way that an API is designed? Yes, they, they do need to. What you're actually uh, looking at is, is the problem of how frequently and how reliably I can get the data. Yeah, so so the, the key point you you mentioned yourself is the velocity point. Um, so if you're wanting a, a, a fairly steady flow of data, then a, a polling technique is not necessarily the most efficient. Um, and of course, if you know if you want to be your client to be bang up to date all the time. Um, you need to be pushing that data as events occur at the back end. So it naturally demands or, or um, would suggest a streaming technique rather than, okay, the client is going to, an arbitrary value, go and start asking the back end for data. Gotcha. So maybe like to define some terms a little bit for listeners, because we have like, you know, people all across the gambit of developer familiarity here. What are like when we're talking about polling? What what is that exactly? Like what is what is an API that one is is polling to pull data? Uh, polling is the the, the traditional uh, um, API implementation. You you have some sort of URL and a payload. You make a request on that. Uh, if we're RESTful, we're using HTTP uh, or HTTPS, uh, and we just get an answer back, and that's it. That's the conversation over and done with. That's a polling model. So the client is always the initiator and the last part of the conversation. In a streaming approach, the client normally uh, initiates the conversation um, and will say, Look, I'm interested in uh, uh, ticker events, you know, tra- trade, uh, stock exchange trades. And every time there's a trade, I want to know about it. And it will establish some sort of handshake which the back end then will push data down to the client as and when the data changes. So you've got this constant flow, hence the stream. You know, it's, video is just uh, you know that we're all familiar with video streaming, Netflix and all of that sort of thing. That's just a very specialized use case. You start your uh, um, Netflix client, whether that's a browser on your computer or, or your smart TV, it does a handshake. It requests what it what it wants, and then the server will just keep pushing at a, a tempo that's appropriate. Uh, new bit of data and another bit of data, and those little bit of data your your frames of picture. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for even more great episodes. Was the impetus for your talk that you felt that the, these kinds of APIs or this, this method of communicating data between two systems is underutilized and we're overly relying on polling right now? 
Uh, it, people tend to just think, oh, I need, I, I do want to create an API, and therefore I'm just going to create a REST point. Uh, and I've seen solutions, uh, you know, even products out there that are um, supporting that because customers to those products um, are perhaps not thinking, actually, do you know what? I want the, the, the product I'm talking to, whether that's a finance system or a hotel system, uh, to tell me when something occurs, not me have to go and ask for it. I see. So you brought you brought up like a whole uh, the hotel system right now, and you, we have uh, like um, Oracle Hospitality specifically having switched to using streaming APIs for a bunch of like its internal data transfer. Is that is that right? That's right. Yes, they're starting to offer that as well for the clients um, uh, and certain things because think about your customer journey within um, uh, or perhaps not the customer journey but the, 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 the staff within a hotel you, you check out they can't go and clean your room until you've checked out or there's some signal that suggests you've left the, the hotel but you don't want the, the hotel staff to keep going click 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 okay I can now go and clean room 10 room 11 you kind of want them to be told Right, the next thing on the list will be room 11. So when they finish the room, uh, they're not having to wait until the browser refreshes with the latest state. They've got it in front of them ready. And that's kind of where, you, you know, where push can come into it. Uh, you know, you, the back end decides who's going to be most effective to clean the next room, that room, and you push it to their client machine, uh, you know, mobile device. So they've got that information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that that makes sense to me. Was that was that the the primary kind of goal of the project was just to essentially get, you know, ensure that there wasn't like stale data being referenced at the like consumer level at the very end. Uh, the, the raft of, of use cases. There's a lot of integration going on when you start looking at how how to hotels work. There are lots and lots of third party systems all integrating. And communicating with your central management of the hotel, uh, and you want to push the data back and forth um, rather than constantly polling. If we've got a, a, um, a, a system dealing with, say, um, enabling and disabling key cards, I check in, they'll give me the key card. You want to enable the door uh, or enable a third-party system. Uh, So when you go into a hotel room, you've got on the TV, welcome, Joe Bloggs, nice to have you with us. Uh, You want to be able to push to that system. We've checked Joe into room uh, two, um, and please, system that deals with the the entertainment, um, display this information. You want to push it so by the time uh, the person's got the, to that room, it's up on the TV and it's correct. Uh, it's not um, waiting for the next time that entertainment system polls the hotel management to say, "Have I got anybody any new check-ins to deal with?" Oh, I was just, I was, yeah, like I, I feel, I feel that that, yeah, I guess in this scenario, like the front desk or whoever is activating the key, it doesn't feel as important to me that they're their system is is streaming, right? Because they're like just going to write data when they know that it's ready to be written. Okay, the person's checked in. I hit the push button. I send the send the request up to the server. But I, it does make sense to me that like the 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 display, the reading of that data, whatever that is, especially if it's displaying data that is um, like 
uh, being written to by lots of clients potentially. And we want to ensure that it is always up to date without having to determine like thresholds for polling, for example. I feel like streaming does seem highly beneficial there. Is that is that a pattern that is is pretty general? Like, is it is it data's, data that is often written by many clients is a good candidate to have its readers then be like streaming updates to it? It depends on how uh, uh, how sensitive to time, particularly the, the client is. Um, if your client is, wants to have the, the the current view at any moment in time, then stream is a good vehicle for it. Um, because if it's not time sensitive, then the fact that, that three or four things might have happened before you do the next poll may not be relevant. You don't want to be told that somebody's just done something when the client doesn't care. It's not relevant to the user or the client that that's happening. Um, you know, when you're looking at stock trading, you absolutely want to know by the second when things change. Uh, so you, the client needs to know. It needs to be up to date and have every event uh, as it happens. Um, but um, if I wasn't that worried and I was just doing an end-of-day bank account check, don't need every event on my bank account to come through. I just need to go and ask once at the end of the day. It's all about time sensitivity and things like that. Gotcha. That makes sense to me. What, I guess, then, are the downsides of using streaming over a more traditional, you know, like polling-based approach? Because it sounds like, like, I don't know, one could ask, well, why wouldn't I always just want the most of it? Even when I'm logging into my bank account at the end of the day, like, what's it hurt to just have that thing streaming all the time? Like, why don't we just use it these like streaming paradigms for everything? Uh, streaming, um, it, it raises a number of challenges. So, so the, the, the benefit is obviously that when events happen, it's going to come to your client and that's fantastic. Um, but it makes the server and the network infrastructure work that much harder. Um, and once you've created that connection uh, to start that stream, that's a, some sort of network socket typically, not always, but uh, more often than not, as a result, that that's using bandwidth and compute cycles to to maintain and keep that connection alive. Uh, even so, even if you just send in a heartbeat, that's still computational load. Now, one or two clients not very thirsty. When you multiply that up to hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands, that suddenly it starts to um, cost. Uh, and you've got to manage all of that, and that requires compute cycles and memory to keep the ports open and, and all sorts of things like that. So it becomes less efficient. Depending on the uh, streaming API technology you're using, uh, you can unwittingly um, sacrifice some security uh, considerations, um, particularly uh, if you're trying to cut the, the, the streaming cost down, one way of doing that is to use a technique called webhooks, where I mean, you, both ends use traditional uh, um, requests. So you open up the connection, ask for some data, close the connection, communication finished. The difference is on the webhook, the client provides the server with a URI for that client so when the server has a change, it actually calls that URI and talks as if it was doing a, a, a standard web call. So the client gets called when it needs it, the information. Um, the benefit of that is um, 
that you can exploit some of the security features of HTTP protocol. Um, when it's a pure socket, uh, you're actually coming down in the uh, complex uh, in in the uh, abstraction from infrastructure. So you have to start doing things. You know, HTTP. You, you know how it's constructed. We've got plenty of libraries. But over a web socket, you have to understand what uh, the format of the data representation is. Yeah. And that means that you've got a lot more work in deserializing the, the payload, potentially, unless you've got a library. And both ends have agreed that that's the, the way it's going to be done. It's Emily again, producer for PodRocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of PodRocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? weird little component libraries, how to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out, I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. Do you see a trend, I guess, on the topic of libraries that a lot of people that end up adopting streaming in some form, do you think that they're more often than not using a library off the shelf or even like a, like a, like a, a platform? Because I'm, I'm thinking of like Firebase or Superbase or something, right? Where it's like you can, but you guys have like a JavaScript library that gives you a functional like streaming, stream-like interface, which is like, I want to watch this object in the cloud. Tell me, client, when this happens. Do you think that a lot of people that end up adopting streaming are going that route because of these difficulties that you're covering? We're, we're seeing uh, um, libraries being used. And actually, one of the things is to consider, particularly when you're dealing with uh, client devices, um, you know, it's generally considered good practice to provide a library to conceal your streaming mechanism. Uh, and even when you're providing um, traditional REST APIs, it's, it's considered good practice to give the developer a, 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 an SDK, if you like, or a library, just so that they can write their code against that interface. It deals with all the handshakes. It deals with uh, the issues of uh, what authentication mechanism is to be used or encryption and things like that. Uh, so it takes all of those problems away for you. So any API, I'd always, you know, if the team have got the bandwidth to do it, provide your consumer with an SDK. It makes their life so much easier. Yeah, and it also gives you a little bit more influence over how you implement things uh, and how you therefore can change that handshake. Does Oracle offer any like specific tooling to kind of make that easy? Like say you know, say you're a front end or a full stack web developer, and you've got like some data source that you want to start like getting streamed to clients. I don't know, say it's like stock prices or something. Like you used as an example before. Would there be any tooling that you could kind of pull off the shelf to make that easier, so you wouldn't have to like write the WebSocket logic yourself? So the um, within Oracle and a lot of the thing, technologies we use, we actually use common standards. 
um, uh, a lot of products uh, these days, not every product that we've got um, has got an SDK. Um, the, probably the, one of the best examples I can give uh, off the top of my head is the uh, APIs into the actual cloud platform itself. You, you know, uh, when we're doing using the Oracle Cloud infrastructure, you've got multiple ways of managing it through the UI, uh, through Terraform, and so on. But it's also got an SDK for um, everything. Um, and those SDKs are actually in five, five or six different programming languages. So you, can, you know, regardless of your background, whether you're a Ruby or JavaScript or a Node.js um, or a Python person, you can code uh, your interactions if you want. Uh, and that's really powerful. Uh, and then when we're using uh, a lot of technologies, if yeah, you can use the the native API directly, and we tend to use uh, proper RESTful principles uh, and use JSON. So it's, you can choose your own library. Then you know, it gives, it's about giving the developer freedom to work the way they want, um, but we empower them to work quickly as well if they don't want that uh, that fine grained control. So I guess, yeah, that maybe is a, a decent segue then into some of the like different streaming API options. So we talked a little bit about like webhooks and websockets. Are there any other, um, you know, potential tooling technology that people should be looking at? So the two big ones outside of those, um, I would, I uh, and tend to encourage people to look at because it takes a lot of the pain away. One is GraphQL, and GraphQL is getting a lot of traction. Um, uh, and its benefit is um, comes from some of the problems that um, uh, Facebook were facing oh, 10 years plus ago, where they had the, you know, a lot of people use Facebook from, from their phone, smartphone or whatever. Uh, and the web uh, the, the the web client or the client on the mobile device just couldn't deliver a good user experience because it would make a restful API call for one bit of information that comes back, then it has to make the next one, and that comes back. And you have this huge great chain of API calls to gather up data. Yeah, uh, and uh, what they tried uh, started to look at is uh, what do we put all these APIs together and have one Uber API. So when you make a call, you get all the data back in one great big clutch. Uh, uh, and that was that downside is it really thrashed the back end uh, for gathering a lot of data that actually the client had no interest at all. Um, so what they did is develop this uh, GraphQL, and GraphQL has the ability to communicate in the request what attributes of the API are wanted. So it only gets the data it wants. And the GraphQL server and the back end can mix and match data, which becomes really clever. So rather than doing those continuous series of calls, GraphQL can give you back just the data you want across multiple entities. Uh, and what they've done is taken that the next step and say, well, when you're streaming, it's the same request. But all you're saying is, is, I want you to send me the answer as it happens with just these bits. 
Uh, so that's one, uh, and, and GraphQL is incredibly powerful and flexible to do that. Um, writing the back end can be a little bit uh, more challenging because it's so flexible. Um, but it, it, it is one that I would always say, yeah, it, it's a technology to go and look at. It's open standards. It's governed independently. Although Facebook uh, drove it initially, it is now... Uh, got its independent governance, so you're not going to get dictated to by any one organization. The other one that you, we're seeing picking up is gRPC, um, which is uh, originally driven by uh, Google, but now, uh, like GraphQL, is now into governance in an independent organization. But it's a lot lower level. It's quite, quite a bit more technical. Um, but it's highly performant and it's great for um, microservice to microservice communication. Um, but I wouldn't use it in a use case where uh, you want more agility and to the ability to evolve um, the payloads a lot more quickly. It does support that, but it requires a lot more work uh, to do it because what it does is it... Uh, um, Works a bit like uh, um, uh, how Corba used to, if you've been around long enough to remember Corba, um, where you define the, the payload and then it generates code and compiles that code that understands that payload. So it then can deserialize it. It's not in doing any interpretation or understanding the schema and saying, okay, well, that's that and that's this. Uh, because it generates that code, the moment you want to change that uh, definition at all you've got to look at um, uh, taking a new binary in, into both ends the client and the server do you think that a lot of people that end up you're, you're talking about grpc being significantly lower level do you think that most application developers, like you know say they're writing full stack web apps they've got a back end with some services they defined and a react front end or something do you think that grpc would not be well suited to a lot of those use cases or i guess would you recommend they maybe reach for a library that kind of implements gr a grpc interface on top of their existing model uh, that uh, so trying to put an abstraction layer on top of grpc because it, it generates the code gets quite challenging mm. um so it's possible, but it's not easy. And the libraries of that sort of nature are going to end up being homegrown more often than not. Um, uh, so I would always say to people, if you're unsure of the client or you have not got control of both ends of the communication, uh, I would err away from gRPC unless you really are desperately in need of that performance. Gotcha. Yeah which is why it's particularly good for microservice-to-microservice-based communication because in most cases, people have got control of both ends. It might be different teams within an organization, but it's still within your organization. Uh, um, and you then got that high-performance um, communication between the microservices, which is fantastic because it, it's not just sending its text. It compresses the payload down and all sorts of clever things. Um, uh, to do with uh, understanding how your payload structure works to optimize it. Um, if you're uncertain or you want to um, issue, uh, yeah, you allow third parties who don't might not want to use your library, 
uh, or be forced into using your library, I would err uh, on uh, a GraphQL because it's essentially JSON-based. Um, it's it doesn't use pure REST paradigms because uh, everything's post, uh, but it's an awful lot easier to get on with, and you don't need the these compiling stages um, from the payload definition. Right, right. So I haven't I haven't done much streaming work within GraphQL. If I want to like say I'm composing a query and I want to stream it, is it is it is it all at like the root query level where I tell the server and stream these changes to me? Like how does that how is that communicated in the in the API? You essentially just add one keyword, the word streaming into the query or into the mutator definition. Uh oh, it doesn't make some sense on the mutator, but on 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 the query, you just add the keyword streaming, and it will tell the backend. Of course, you are dependent on the implementer having built the means to uh, have the backend recognize that uh, something's changed and it, it needs to be pushed. But once you've got past that, then um, you you are uh, up and running. Nice. So can. When, when you're in the stream mode, so you have like some deeply nested GraphQL query and there's like a list, of, you know, 18 layers deep that could be being appended to, is only the data that is changing, like is that all that ends up being sent over the wire, like the new items in this list? Or how does that, how does that end up like working? So uh, it's not something I've seen done too much uh, um, in terms of having lots of very deep nesting um but uh the way uh, i believe it would resolve is is that um, it's going to be at the top level so you'll get the payload of the attributes you ask for rather than just the the one attribute that may have changed so if you were watching a a, a, um, a price changing you wouldn't get just the price if you asked for price and the name you'd still get price and name yeah so you, you got the context on which that data change is working. Uh, and in that sense, that's just the same as REST. You, know, you aren't looking at um, implicit context. You have to be explicit. Uh, and you can't effectively rely on context within the communication handshake. Right, right. Because, yeah, then there's then there's a, you know, a handful of problems then you have to figure out. Like if, I guess, the more sparse the data that you're getting back on like a big complex query in terms of streaming, like the more work you probably have to do as a developer to figure out like, how does this data fit into the whole? Or like if you're watching a list and you're only getting new items, it's like, well, is this in the top of the list, the middle of the list, the end of the list? It's simpler if you just always get the whole list. Um, but it, you know, seems like it could be a bit more data over the wire. I mean, it depends on the, the expression of the query. You, you The back end would look at the whole list, but if your query said, oh, and two attributes are my first and last date of change, then you would only get a subset of the list, but it's still all the attributes you've asked for rather than just the one that's changed. Yeah, very cool. So how about, like like you said before, WebSockets are... Or sorry, webhooks are kind of in this weird space where like it's behavioral, behaviorally very functional to streaming, but it is still you know like a much more like it is kind of polling, but we just like flip a request in the middle to make a polling like call where the server is now polling the client, right? Or yeah, in in a sense, is there is there a reason that you would still steer devs to like set up webhooks? Like, what is the what's the beauty there? It's so. 
therein lies uh, one of the uh, um, benefits of a webhook style approach um, is if that data is slow changing, and you but you still want to affect that push. Um, the yeah, you're not keeping that that communication channel open. The channel is only open for the data flow to start and end, um, and that makes it quite uh, efficient. And um, what what you benefit of that is is that um, the server doesn't need to know the client web address until that client requests, and then it can de-request. It's almost like um, yeah, you're on a mailing list and you subscribe and you unsubscribe. You know, I'll keep getting called on, on this API for as long as I'm interested, but don't tell me after I've had enough. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of, a lot of um, I don't know, just like more public APIs, I feel like that ends up being what a lot of people are leaning on, right? It's just like, well, we have this data that we want people to be able to subscribe to changes on. I In, in highly public APIs of that nature, I, I don't feel like I've encountered any GraphQL APIs in the wild that had like streaming options available, but I feel like webhooks are pretty pretty prolific at this point. Yeah, webhooks have been around a, a lot lot longer than than GraphQL. Um, I think a lot of people are using GraphQL um, to tune the payload that they get, and they're getting their efficiency gains that way. Um, so it isn't as costly to do polling. Um, and the other thing is, is you know, what use cases need that constant push? Um, when it comes to uh, client devices, there are less use cases than system-to-system uh, use cases where you want those systems to be a lot more uh, communicative and um you you effectively you know, to get your processes going as quick and as efficiently uh, as possible end to end. You want to keep pushing as much as possible, um, but perhaps you don't want to get involved in it with having brokers everywhere. You want to be able to just um, uh, create a connection between two services by initiating that request, and that other service then just starts pumping data to you. Yeah, yeah. There's there's still there's still as a I don't know. I don't know if simplicity is the right term, but it feels very uh, agnostic still. It's like, oh, well, we kind of, it's easier to join systems that may not be quite as tightly coupled as, you know, others would be or you know, are using some other paradigm entirely. Like the webhook, the, the, I don't know, ubiquity of making simple web requests is still just like, it makes it easy to integrate into a lot of setups. Um, cool. So I feel like we've covered a lot. Is there any, any other kind of, I don't know, points or... Anything you'd advocate for to try to, you know, motivate devs to go consider like streaming instead of pulling for for APIs they're setting up. Uh, the, so the key really is is um, uh, think about your user. Um, how many times have we sat on, on an app uh, that perhaps doesn't call the back end frequently enough? We're expecting change, and you're sat there uh, and the. The user ends up going, um, oh, I'm going to just refresh the whole app or, or refresh the web page. Yeah. Uh, because you think, well, it, that looks out of date. I'm sure things have changed since uh, I last looked at it. So you end up refreshing the whole app, and that creates many, many more API calls and go on the back end and making it work a lot harder. So you actually end up creating their own girls. And in those sort of scenarios, you know, consider streaming. 
um, and, and trying to mitigate the, the the fact that your back end works a little bit harder by using techniques like GraphQL, where you're just stipulating what you want quite effectively. Um, and even on, on traditional REST calls, a lot of people miss quite a few tricks. There are HTTP header attributes that um, are great for communicating. I only want to know data since this, this point in time. Um, so they're, they're the kinds of scenarios that are, are worth doing. Using frameworks uh, like uh, gRPC and, and GraphQL, they start to embed um, uh, security mechanisms uh, and frameworks to, to make your security a lot easier, far, far um, more robust and secure than potentially just creating your own WebSocket solution. Because uh, through WebSockets, if you go down to the, you know, it's like many things, if you go down to the very basics, you've got to build all the extra supporting layers like your monitoring, like your security yourself. Uh, why do that when people have gone through the pain of fixing that for you? Uh, and, um, you know, security in this day and age is not to be treated lightly. Yeah, especially like the amount of user data and everything we're talking about, even just like if you start trying to send everything through a streaming paradigm, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if we need our auth calls to be going over a WebSocket. Like maybe that's not <laughs> not the best plan. Um, yeah, cool. I, I guess more broadly, is there anything else you would kind of uh, point listeners at? Anything they should check out? Anything on the horizon? I, I think that the, the, the key ones that we've talked about are, are going to be there and around for a while. Um, I have to admit, I, I've, I've seen sort of nuances and variations on, on the themes that we've talked about. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the sockets, you know, if, if you want to get down and dirty uh, is, is the main way to go. If you want to go streaming, uh, if you want to deal with uh, uh, something that's, you know, akin to REST, then go graph, QL. If you want to do, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, something that's a bit more hardcore, um, but alleviates some of the performance considerations, then go gRPC. Um, others are all just variations on that. The, there are um, the server-side push, uh, and we'll see, I think, um, in HTTP3, some new features around that. But um, server-side push today has a whole raft of limitations because you can't acknowledge the receipt of uh, a call. Uh, and Because that's something you've got to consider is particularly if the client disappears on a, on a mobile device, it moves to a different network. You, it's going to end up creating a fresh connection for you how do you know it's the same session? How do you know that previous session is dead? Yeah, there's a there's a lot to lot to consider. But I appreciate you uh, coming online and kind of I don't know demystifying stuff, talking APIs with us a little bit. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me on. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. 
And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.